0: Thank you know what I'm gonna that takes you back back 10 years in fact welcome everybody to radio free asgard indeed this is episode number 400 the final episode of radio free asgard my name is tom harris welcome along to the show and we are the only thor podcast hosted by a true descendant of odin and we're coming at ya from beautiful chicago illinois so here we are 10 years Jesus fucking Christ, <laughs> it's been a long time. As I've been preparing to do this final episode, I've been thinking about it a lot. I've been thinking a lot about what it means to have had an active podcast for 10 years. And I keep coming back to one thing, and that, that is 10 years is a big chunk of time. Yeah, most people live, if they're very lucky, you know, to maybe 90 years old. And 10 years, you know, that's a big chunk of somebody's life. When I started doing Radio Free Asgard, I was forty eight years old now i 'm fifty eight years old, and you know people who are out there listening now were children at the time they started listening. Some of them have grown up and gotten married and now have kids of their own. Many of you who are already adults have kids now that you didn 't have when this podcast started. And so the passage of time is just one of those things that it, it's not on your mind when, when you're doing those shows. But after a while, you start to realize how much time has passed. And most media projects, whether it be a podcaster or, or a TV show or a radio broadcast or whatever, they don't last 10 years. With podcasts, you're lucky if you last six months. I mean, you know, most podcasts don't get much beyond a couple of years. And I don't know of more than maybe three comics-related podcasts that were going when I started doing this show that are still going now. It's very, very unusual. So 10 years is something to celebrate. And I, I am celebrating myself. I'm going to actually stroke my own ego for a little bit on the show. It takes a lot of determination to keep a show going through thick and thin, through the ups and downs. And let's face it, every project out there, I would say every product out there really has a shelf life. And the shelf life kind of depends on your audience. It depends on listener engagement more than anything else. And over the last 10 years, like I said, we've had our ups and downs as far as listeners but this show, demographically speaking, peaked about 2014. Uh, yeah, We came in strong off the, uh, the interest in the first Thor movie, and we peaked not very long after Thor 2, The Dark World. And you know, we, we had a, a pretty respectable audience for a long time. And uh, then, of course, I took a hiatus, which uh, cut our listenership down by quite a bit. And I don't think that it was kind of an you know, all or nothing kind of proposition. I think that I actually shed a lot of people who weren't really listening, people who had subscribed but weren't really listening to the show. And when the show went on hiatus and the feed became inactive for a while, they kind of kind of dropped off, you know, how, how that goes. So yeah, I'm not going to give you any specific numbers. Part of that is because I don't have good numbers. And that's just kind of the nature of you know, the hosting and, and the RSS feeds. It's really hard to know exactly how many listeners you have. But I will say that over the years, we've had a very respectable listener base. And we've actually maintained our listener base for a lot longer than I thought we would. We have to keep in mind that this is a niche podcast. You know, comics podcasts are a very small subset of the podcasting scene in general, and we're a very focused comics podcast, which means that this show really is going to appeal mainly to people who are Thor fans, and to a lesser extent, those people who are fans of mythology. So for what we are, our numbers have been really respectable over the years, and I have nobody to thank for that except for you, Certainly, this has been despite me rather than because of me. I'm really bad at self-promotion. I'm really bad at networking. Part of that is because I'm lazy, (laughs) but also part of it is because I I kind of detest going out there and plugging myself on other podcasts. I've done it, but when I go on other people's podcasts, I've always had much more interest in going on there for the conversation. That's the part that I've really enjoyed. The self-promotion has just always just been kind of a bonus. So when I announced that the show was going to be ending, I did start getting a few questions as to what I'll be doing next. And I I hope to be able to shed some light here very briefly. Um, I'm working on some personal projects that have nothing to do with podcasting, nothing to do with comics. I've mentioned the family history that I'm working on before on the show. I hope to be able to redouble my efforts that I've been working on that. Now work on that has been progressing even as I've been doing this show, but I, I do want to pour a lot more of my focus into that and not have to be interrupted in research, you know, every two weeks when it's time to uh, record and edit the next episode. Uh, As for podcasting, well, this will be the first time I've been without a podcast project since 2007, which is kind of scary for me to think about. However, I do have plans to appear on other podcasts and including one appearance that is somewhat Thor-related, that they'll be coming in the not-too-distant future. And I will keep everybody informed of any projects that I'm doing for public consumption on the Radio Free Asgard Facebook page. I'm not going to be abandoning the page. I know I've been bad about posting things there. However, uh, any announcements for podcast appearances, that sort of thing, will be appearing there. And of course, any podcasts that that are relevant that, that I am on will also be posted on the Radio Free Asgard feed. So if you're subscribed to this podcast, you don't need to worry about missing something because I will try my very best to get that on the Radio Free Asgard feed so you can hear it without actually making any additional effort. And if I can't, I will certainly be announcing that over on the Radio Free Asgard Facebook group. So one of the fun things about doing a show for 10 years is you cover a lot of material. And we have covered a Ton of material on the show. I mean, we've covered way more than 10 years worth of Thor. We've covered from Journey into Mystery 83 through the Mighty Thor 213. So that was 1962 through 1973. Uh, That's just basically the Lee Kirby run of what just came after. We also covered the entirety of the Simonson run and into the DeFalco Friends run, which which followed. From issue 337 all the way through issue 408, we've covered the first 45 issues of Thor Volume 2, the first seven issues of Thor Volume 3. We covered all of Thor God of Thunder and the Unworthy Thor, We've also covered the first series of Girl Thor, which I think was about, what, about 10 issues, and the first, I believe, six issues of the, uh, the following Girl Thor series, which at the time we recorded that was actually the current series running. We also covered a lot of material that was not published by Marvel, most notably Walt Simonson's Ragnarok series, the first three volumes of that. And also material that was published by Marvel, like the Eighth Day, which kind of was a big crossover between a bunch of different titles. We covered the two Hercules minis and also the one-shot for Marvel Premiere. We covered the Thor graphic novel, which was kind of not really connected very well to to continuity. You know, they covered the Sif issues from Journey into Mystery, the Loki miniseries, uh, a bunch of of Thor minis like Thor Son of Asgard and and those. I, yeah i know i'm forgetting stuff anyway let's get off that topic because that's not something i really want to talk about all right so what i do want to talk about is a thor story so let's go ahead and move along to our review cross the rainbow bridge guard, where the blue- what's this a review in the very last episode yes indeed folks indeed we have so for this final review we actually have something kind of special and that is what i believe to be the very first appearance of thor in an american comic book and this is weird comics number one and this was published by Fox Publications Incorporated. Cover date is April 1940. It went on sale February of 1940. Retailed 10 cents. Cover art is by George Tuska, who, of course, went on to a long career in comics, including work at uh, both DC and Marvel. Shows a... uh, Mad scientist holding a test tube, and he's got a hypodermic needle in one hand. And there's a, a slinkily clad woman kind of helplessly tied up next to him. And it looks like he's up to no good. And there's a guy coming through the door. And the guy's name is Brent because it says so in the cover blurb. And he is getting ready to uh, attack the doctor. But beware, because behind him there's a big green and yellow gorilla looking thing. And it looks like it's going to swing down and stomp on Brent. Uh, That's at least what I get from the cover. But anyway, so we have this uh, beautiful cover. Uh, (laughs) We'll say that uh, loosely. Uh, But it is a memorable cover. And it's actually, actually, I would say it's better than a lot of covers from the uh, 1940s. The uh, copy on the cover says, Brent's gun blazed away and stopped the evil fiend, yeah. And uh, we have another cover board that says, In every issue, The Birdman, Thor, Voodoo Man, and Typhon, Submarine Adventures. And uh, we open up to the splash page. And we have uh, the story is called Thor, uh, God of Thunder by Wright Lincoln which of course is a pseudonym the actual uh, penciler of the story who was probably also the writer I don't really know but the, his name was Pierce Rice was the artist of this story now, this uh, Weird Comics, of course, was an anthology book, as were a lot of comics in those days. We're only going to cover the Thor story, but we'll, we'll have a look at the other ones and talk very briefly about what they're like. But anyway, we have the splash page of the Thor story. shows Thor, and Thor is portrayed as mostly naked, a very pale-skinned guy with blonde hair, kind of longish. He's got blue swim trunks and a blue cape and a blue, weird sort of cloth hat helmet kind of thing. The artwork is very crude, uh, which we'll, we'll kind of talk about as we go. And Thor is uh, he's flying in the air over what looks like a ship, and blasting down some sort of a uh, red ray at it. And it looks like the red ray is breaking this battleship, which is what it appears to be, uh, completely in half. And as far as I can tell, this image has nothing to do with what happens in the story. But uh, a little blurb here says, Grant Farrell, an ordinary mortal, is suddenly invested with the supernatural powers of the ancient god Thor, son of Odin, supreme ruler of Valhalla. And we cut to Asgard, and we have the real Thor, and the real Thor is dressed much like the Thor on the splash page, except all of his clothes are red. So he's got the red helmet, red cape, uh, red swim trunks, and red boots, and otherwise he is naked. So uh, it says here, Thor, God of Thunder, looks down upon the world from his lofty castle in Valhalla. He finds that there is need on Earth for his mighty powers. He hurls his magic hammer at a streak of lightning, and he does that. His hammer looks kind of like an egg attached to a stick, so it's a more oblong, spurate kind of hammer as opposed to the kind of squarish hammer of the Marvel comics. And and the hammer breaks the lightning bolt in half, which is something I don't think you can actually do with lightning, but it's very silly. And the hammer returns to uh, Thor's hand. And apparently he's just destroyed the lightning bolt just for the hell of it because uh, nothing else happens. And there's a goddess here with him who I'm just going to go out on a limb and say is Sif. I don't think it actually says. But anyway, uh, the hammer comes back to him and he uh, says, My power is as strong as ever. I will invest an ordinary mortal with my great powers, and we shift to earth and we have a Grant Farrell and he is at what looks like a buffet or a maybe a diner, but it's a restaurant of some type and there's a a, a counter so there's very little detail in in the background, so it's really kind of hard to tell, but we're led to believe that it's a swanky kind of restaurant because. Uh, he is dressed in a suit and a bow tie and his Goyle is dressed in a kind of a slinky red evening dress kind of thing. And they're sitting at a table and there's a waiter there pouring wine for them. And the uh, uh, the woman, uh, typical 1940s kind of character that really kind of stayed this way <laughs> until the 60s in Stanley. But anyway, she's like, oh, Grant, I wish you weren't so afraid of adventure. Why are you such a stay at home? I suppose you'd like me to lose my life over some foolish heroic," says Grant. And we see that they're dancing now. And he says, I'm not the romantic he-man type, Glenda. I'm sorry if I bore you. And we see that they're dancing and there's a big band. We see kind of hints of other people, other tables and people in the bar. And suddenly a dark stranger comes up to them. And it says here, he asks to cut in. And Glenda, fascinated, agrees to dance with him next panel we see Glenda going off with this stranger because she's a slut and it says uh, it says by the end of the evening Glenda has been completely charmed by the suave adventurer so that's all we know is that he looks like uh he looks like Clark Gable and he is an adventurer of some type and they leave together and leaving Grant there uh, yeah all alone and it says Grant sadly saunters home in the moonlight and we see him walking past a vacant lot with a for sale sign on it and some very uh, poorly drawn buildings. And we see him sitting in his uh, dismal apartment. It has nothing in it except for a bed and a hat on the floor and some sort of vase. Anyway, uh, he's so he's sitting there and it says... Completely dejected, Grant contemplates ending his life. And he actually has a gun in his hand like he's going to commit suicide. So that's not good. Suddenly, out of nowhere, a crashing peal of thunder and lightning bolts come down and the big blue cloud and Thor comes down and appears before Grant. Grant kind of falls back and it's not really clear if Thor has burst through the wall or just kind of appears Uh, But I I think he just kind of appears because I I don't see that he's destroyed the wall. But anyway, uh, Thor is standing in front of him and he says, My son, I have work for you to do. You will have undreamed of powers. And he picks him up and he is carrying him to his castle in the sky. So soaring through the clouds, Thor mounts with Grant to his home in Valhalla. That's an unfortunate choice of words. He mounts with Grant. Oh my. Anyway, uh, (laughs) they're flying to Valhalla. And Thor saying, I will teach you how to use my ancient powers. The lightning will be your servant, my magic hammer, your weapon. And uh, we see that Grant has transformed into Thor, which is kind of interesting. Uh, we're told that by the artwork, but it says transformed into Thor's being, Grant surveys the world. From Valhalla, he sees Glenda surrounded by a group of sinister looking men whom he recognizes as spies. Because you can tell that when you're looking at people all the way from Valhalla. And then we see some stick figures sitting in the apartment. And uh, Glenda is there with them. And uh, apparently they're spies. Anyway, there's three of them. So Glenda is really a slut. Anyway, so it's, uh, next thing we see is Grant is back on Earth. And he is back on his bed. And it says, returning to his room. The new Thor resumes the form of Grant Farrell and he immediately gets his uh, coat on and goes running off. It looks like he has had time to change his shirt uh, because he had a white shirt when he left and now he has an orange one. And uh, he's running off and he says, I must warn Glenda to stay away from those men. And he goes to uh, Glenda's house, but Glenda's house is being watched, no doubt by spies. And uh, he enters her house and the car pulls up and somebody is in the car going, wait till her boyfriend goes see he doesn't say see i'd said that anyway uh so inside we see uh glenda and uh, she's wearing this uh kind of poofy sleeved green dress and grant is kind of i guess he looks i guess he's supposed to have his arm on the back of the couch but it looks like he's doing a a nazi salute at her but (laughs) anyway um and a Part of that is the coloring, and we'll talk about the production values of this at the end. Anyway, uh, she's saying, don't be a silly old woman. Those men are worldly, romantic. I know what I'm doing. Oh, I bet she does. And it says, later, rough hands seize and drag Glenda into the car. So the spies have got her. Her captors take her to a waiting plane. Swiftly, they rise into the air and head for South America. So, yeah, this is all taking place on... Uh, like four panels. So that's a lot of story. Glenda finds that she's been kidnapped by her adventurous friends, in quotes. You will help us find the Andurian mines which our country will capture. You will pose as a tourist. And then suddenly we see Thor coming from the sky. Now this is the Grant Thor in his blue cape and trunks rather than the red cape and trunks that he had before. And he's coming down in a bolt of lightning. And it says, Thor speeds after the plane on a bolt of lightning. You know, and you can just kind of hear the pew, pew, if it were a, a bad cartoon from the 60s. Utilizing his tremendous power over the elements, Thor creates a blinding thunderstorm and forces the plane to land. And we see that, uh, the thunderstorm and forcing the plane to land. And it looks like it's landing in a, uh, like a glacier or something. And Thor rescues Glenda. He bursts into the plane and drags her out. We'll get you out of danger now, he says. And then he carries her to the ledge of a high cliff because that's real safe. They're at the top of like a mountain pass and they see vehicles kind of entering from the far end of the pass. And Thor says, tanks moving into Andura, I'll stop them. And he leaps down and he smashes the tanks with his hammer says, hurling his mighty hammer, Thor smashes the advancing tanks. And he just kind of does it all in one blow. So he's, he's just as powerful as the Marble Thor, I have to say that. And there's people going flying everywhere and bits of tank. And yeah, things are going badly for these spies. You'll be safer across the border in Anduras, says Thor. I thought they were already there, but okay. Uh, and he takes Glenda away and then the leaves are somewhere says, after leaving Glenda, Thor returns to the front, um, and he's there, but he appears as the Mines, because Mines have not been mentioned at all, really, have they? Anyway, he's, he's there at the Mines as Grant Farrell, and he's wearing different clothes than what he had when he changed into Thor, which is interesting. Uh, and uh, the spies recognize him from the uh, from the restaurant. There's the Goyle's boyfriend. How did he get here? Glad you came to visit us, young fella, but... And they grab Grant and they tie him up and they attach there. It looks like they tie him to one of the mine supports and uh, leave him there. And this is all a ruse, of course, because Grant wanted to be captured so he could overhear their plans. And uh, he's there and he overhears plans to blow up the mine and cripple the Andurian military power because one mine is enough to do that. Anyway, Glenda, not content to stay behind the lines, she decides to be all heroic, and she's thinking to herself, I'm going to go warn the Andurians about the mines. But she is soon seen by the spy, and the uh, the one spy who captured Grant earlier, uh, he's thinking to herself, Glenda, I thought she was struck by lightning. And he grabs her, and she goes, oh! he says, sorry, you can't be useful to us now. And he throws her into the mine shaft and says, roughly, he throws her into the shaft. Oh, my. And we see her lying in the cave. And uh, she is kind of wandering around in the cave with no torches or light or anything. But somehow, it's all very brightly lit in there. Anyway, uh, she finds Grant, and she recognizes him. Grant, how in the world did you get here? Well, Glenda... I just decided to have a little adventure, so I followed you. And then suddenly, with a tremendous roar, the mine explodes. We see big rocks and people flying everywhere. And uh, it is Thor. Yeah, because he somehow changed to Thor instantly? I don't know. Anyway, we see him riding on a thunderbolt and he is catching the uh, spies as they fall from the sky, preventing them from going splat because he's a hero, and that's what heroes do. Anyway, it says, Grant, rising in the form of Thor, swiftly catches the falling men. And one of them says, someone is screaming in the shaft that has been blocked. Glenda, says Thor. And he hurls his hammer at the huge stone that has crashed before the shaft, because that could not possibly break and and hurt people inside the cave, right? Or cause another cave in, or anyway. Anyway, he he destroys the rock, and he goes in there, and Glenda is there, and Thor grabs Glenda, Uh, and uh, Glenda follows him out of the shaft. He He has her by the hand. Suddenly, Thor sees the spies escaping in a tank, which doesn't really look like a tank, but okay. So they're leaving, and Thor throws his hammer at the tank, and he tips it over on its side. Once more, the magic hammer strikes, and he's fighting the men who came out of the tank when it got tipped over, and he says, swiftly, Thor streaks across the border, carrying the helpless spies, and there's... There's like explosions going off all around them. And so suddenly they are hit and shattered by their own anti-aircraft guns. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, Now, I'm not sure where these anti-aircraft guns are coming from. Are they coming from the tank that got knocked over? Or the spies are from the bordering country to Andorra? I'm not really sure. Anyway. Uh, it's it's all very poorly written, I have to say. Anyway, <laughs> so they're uh, being um, scattered by the, the own anti-aircraft guns. Thor is kind of is flying away, and he says, that puts an end to this little South American adventure. Now I shall take Glenda back to her home. And he does that, and then he says, Grant, after safely depositing Glenda, returns to Valhalla to tell tales of his first adventures as Thor. And the real Thor is there. Uh, We have uh, a couple other, like, uh, Valkyrie, we have a Valkyrie-looking woman and uh, somebody who looks a little bit like like Marvel Heimdall uh, and some other half-naked people just kind of lounging around. And he is confronted by Thor, and uh, Thor says, You have well earned the right to my name and my magic hammer. They are now yours to keep. And uh, he sends, uh, well, Grant returns to, back to Earth on a bolt of lightning. And several days later, he runs into Glenda, and, and she seems very surprised to see him. And <laughs> he like, Grant, how did you escape from the mine? I flew out. How did you? I was rescued by the most wonderful godlike man. You will never be like him. And he seems very nonplussed by this. And in fact, it says Glenda is astonished at his unconcern. No, too bad. Goodbye. And he leaves. And the caption says, But Grant has more important things to think of than the whim of a girl. Read more about Grant Farrell's adventures in the next issue. And that is, as far as I can tell, the very first appearance of Thor in any comic ever. And I can be wrong about that but it certainly seems that that is the case. All right, so what do I think about this? Um, you have to keep in mind, of course, the comics in 1940 were in their infancy. Things are not judged by as high a standard as we have today. That being said, the story is still very poor. It's obviously very poorly written. It is not very well plotted, and it's not very clear from panel to panel exactly what's going on so they have to tell you what's happening the writing is not so much comic writing in the sense of what you'd think that, that Stan Lee or or Roy Thomas or Dan Jurgens or somebody like that would do it's more like what the artist would write in the margins for a scripter in the Marvel method to go back and tell. So it is so, so basic. And the artwork itself is very crude and rudimentary. Artist doesn't really seem to have a very good grasp of anatomy and physiology, but also in drawing things, he's absolutely terrible. Drawing buildings are awful, cars don't look like cars, tanks don't look like tanks. In fact, I don't think he'd ever even seen a picture of a mine or an old mine movie because certainly the inside of that mine didn't look like anything that a real mine would look like. There's not a lot of times when I would say I could do better than a a published comic artist. I honestly think I could do better than this. I, th- I think that I would have drawn this story better than these people, and I wouldn't be born for another 22 years. Um, yeah, it's, it's very, very poor indeed. What really kind of gets me is that this is the leading story of the issue. This is the first thing that we see. And there are other stories in this issue where the artwork and storytelling is much, much better. So it is very odd that they would chose to to uh, highlight the Thor story when it is not really very good. Let's just kind of really briefly look at the other stories. There aren't that many other stories in there. We have a story called the Sorceress of Zoom, which is a um, kind of a genie kind of story. And the sorceress is is a hero who is she's kind of a superhero. And there's a, an evil villain who is kind of charming uh, human to, to love, love her and you know, make her lose her powers. And then there's these sort of demon creatures. We have uh, The Adventures of Solar Plexus, Interplanetary Messenger, which is kind of a gag strip, another kind of very pearly drawn three-page story uh, that is very goofy looking planetoid alien sorts of things. We have an adventure series called Blast Bennett by Spencer Allen. And they are wearing these weird sort of seashell looking things on their head. Uh Blast Bennett is your typical hero type and he's got a goofy sidekick, a kind of like Doyby Dickles or somebody like that. Um I think he's supposed to be a teen sidekick, I'm not really sure. But uh the, they, they have they're having these very strange sort of uh Flash Gordon y adventures where Planets seem to have their own their own brain and <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um yeah, the goofy sidekick is not doing him any favors here. But it's a very silly story involving space pirates and uh a alien creature that looks a little bit like the devil. Uh we then have Doctor Mortal by Godfrey Clark. It is a story of a an old man. Who uh, is uh, is uh, very evil and is trying to uh, get some monster to marry his niece? I'm really not sure what's going on here. Then we then we have the Voodoo Man by Alan Spector, and this uh, takes place in Haiti. And we have a typical white savior kind of character. Uh, think of Every Tarzan movie you've ever seen, and the white adventurers with their pith helmets and their jodpers, and uh, there's a conspiracy afoot to turn this uh, pretty girl into a zombie. And yeah, that they it is not a um, well, it was, let's just say the less I say about this story, the better. It, it's a bit of a piece of racist shit. <laughs> We have The Invisible Planet, which is our obligatory text story for this issue, which, as you may remember, they had to do a text story in every issue because they had to keep the uh, mailing rates for a magazine, and that was the only way they could. And then we have a, a strip called The Birdman by Arnold Mazos and now this is a blatant ripoff of the uh, black condor it, it's uh it really does uh, or i maybe black condor was a ripoff of him i'm not really sure very much like black condor and his whole shtick is he is he's a descendant of an ancient indian god uh so he's you no know, he and i have a little something in common except uh, for the indian part Anyway, uh, they don't say whether India, Indian, or Native American. Uh, I'm not really sure which. He kind of looks more, yeah, it's in the Andes, I guess. So I guess he would be like an Amazonian Indian type. And then, of course, we have Typhon, uh, which is submarine adventures with weird, unnatural monsters. The, uh, the one thing I really like about this story is that, well, the art's not horrible. I mean, it's, it's for the Golden Age, it's not too bad. Um, but I will say that they, there's a submarine in here that looks pretty cool. It does actually remind me a lot of the sea view from Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, and of course, this was like 20 years before Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, so I'm wondering if that show may have taken um, some inspiration from this submarine design. Uh, there are some very, very phallic-looking sea monsters in this. They, they, are, they are basically giant sea penises. Um yeah, there's very little else I can say. Um, there's a couple of house ads, which uh, I, I, I'm kind of surprised that there aren't more ads in the comic than this. Uh, there's a house ad for their other titles, Mystery Men Comics, Wonder World Comics, Fantastic Comics, Science Comics. Uh, we have a Johnson Smith & Company ad, which, of course, now they're the... Uh, the people behind, you know, x-ray specs and all that kind, uh, selling things like a Mountie police uniform. That's, that's kind of interesting. I wonder if that was actual uh, Canadian uh, Mounted Police Surplus. Um, jiu-jitsu ad uh, test your voice make re- records of singing etc have fun recording and playing your own something it's very very hard to read sorry the image quality of this is very poor uh, we can get a microphone for 25 cents a, a deluxe microphone for 30 cents uh, we have a blank cartridge pistol for 50 cents uh, throw your voice uh, live chameleon watch it change colors A uh, marriage license 10 cents Uh, You got foreign license plates. That's kind of interesting. I bet some of those foreign license plates from 1940 might be worth something now. Plastic stamp outfit. I'm not sure what that means, but uh, yeah. Uh, Speedy steamboat. Some sort of a steam-powered toy. Uh, School or desk adding machine for $1.89. Learn how to dance. You could buy a hula skirt for 30 cents a pistol cigarette case for 25 cents that'll that'll get you everywhere these days actually i think i think my very favorite ad is at the very beginning of the issue on in the inside front cover we have an ad for the comic scope and it says here practically a gift um it's so cheap that it's practically a gift it says not a toy but a real projector operates on ac or dc current and uh, I love the, the image they have here. is they have the guy carrying what looks like a box. Um, and these are meant to be children, uh, but they're wearing like raggedy clothes. I guess, I guess that would make sense because, you know, it's the depression and all that. And he's shining a comics panel that is better drawn than most of the comics panels in this issue, uh, up against a wall. And it says here, a new amazing invention. Show your own films at home. Charge admission. (laughs) Yeah, run real movie parties. I think that wouldn't go over so well today with copyright laws. But anyway, now for the first time, you can use comic strips in the Comic Scope and screen them in any size and in full color. I don't know how they do that, but it only costs... One coupon from any three of our comics magazines. Uh, and then you send five cents with each coupon to cover the cost of handling. So uh, 15 cents for this uh, uh, real projector, not a toy. I, why do I have my doubts about that? All right, so so much for Weird Comics number one. Now, I did have a quick look at other issues of Weird Comics. the, the I believe that these are in the public domain now and had a, a look online and managed to find copies of, of the, the 20 issues of the series. Now, it appears that Thor last appeared around issue number eight, and they changed his look somewhat during the course. of Basically, they just made him a guy wearing uh, swim trunks and boots, Uh, so that he was wearing even less clothes at the end. Um, Some of the characters from the first issue who were not Thor, like the Sorceress of Zoom, continued all the way through the series, though as the war went on, they seemed to lean quite heavily into the superhero genre, and there was uh, characters such as the Dart and the Eagle who took precedence, and they kind of took Thor's place. Maybe they thought that Thor was too... German during the war? I really don't know. Anyway, uh, it's interesting to see that you know, as time went on, the quality of these strips became better overall. The artwork became better. As far as I can tell, the writing became better. I didn't sit down and read all these issues. But um, yeah, so the this uh, original Golden Age store had a very limited run. And I mean, with this kind of start, I mean, you can't really be surprised by that. Interestingly enough, we have another character in the Fox publication stable who is still being published today, although they're being published by a different company. There were ads for Blue Beetle appearing in one of the other magazines. So this is kind of interesting that there's still some characters that were started by this company that are still around, though the vast majority of these are long forgotten and, and probably rightfully so. Now, speaking of things that shouldn't be forgotten, there's a few people I'd like to thank for their support and their friendship over the last few years. It has been a uh, you know quite a ride over the last 10 years, and I just wanted to thank in no particular order, first of all, my co-host Paul Schweikart, who was involved in the show at the very earliest stages and in the pre-premier era, was very, very helpful in, in thinking about things like format, the kinds of things we would do. He also submitted a lot of uh, written material for the show, the profiles of the gods who we we're doing about every 10 episodes back in the very beginning. Also wrote uh, Tales from the Asgard Alehouse and, and a number of other little feature type things. Paul was active in the show until about episode number 50 or so. And then the time constraints got to be a little bit too much. And uh, even though you never heard his voice on the show, he was very much a part of the show for those first 50 episodes. I also want to thank those of you who've been on the show with me. We haven't had a lot of guests on the show, but uh, no particular order. I wanted to thank Scotty Coles who uh, from the Legion of Substitute Podcasters, who appeared on the show about a half dozen times back in, in the early beginning. Uh, Manuel Carmona, who was on the show a couple of times. Uh, we have David Caron of The Troth, uh, our first Asa True interview. And of course, Ragnar Olafsson, who I interviewed when I was in Iceland back in 2015. Scott Collins, who very graciously appeared on the show in rc 2 e 2 episode. Other comics creators who I spoke with who didn't appear on the show, of course, uh, Walt Simonson, who said some very kind things, and uh, Dan Jurgens, who I had hoped to get on the show, but things just ultimately didn't work out as far as scheduling and that sort of thing. I also want to thank people who've helped me promote the show. The guys over at Fantasticast who played my trailer a whole bunch of times, to uh, Gene Hendricks, who also plugged the show. And of course, I also appeared on Gene Hendrix's podcast, The Hammer Strikes. Also, the guys over at Back to the Bins, Paul and Bill and Scott and that gang uh, for the, the uh, couple of appearances I made over there. And uh, I hope to uh, appear on their show again in the not-too-distant future. Thanks also to Paul French and Darren Noel and gang over at Legion of Substitute Podcasters. They didn't have a lot to do with the content of this show, but they've been friends of the podcast for a long time. Uh, the late Peter Van Denning, of course, was always a source of inspiration for me, and also uh, gave me useful feedback on occasion. Chris Bendorf, who has been a good correspondent, has been active in the Facebook group, and has helped keep the conversation moving over there, along with Manuel. Those two are really the diehards over in the Facebook group, and uh, I, you know the Facebook group would be completely dead if not for them. <laughs> I'm going to try to post more now, uh, now that I have a little bit more time to do so, but we'll see how that goes, you know how motivated I can can be. Can't forget Eric Miodor, who is a commenter on the several episodes and also made me jor so I can't really complain about that. And also to Mats Vent, who composed Eden, the Invincible Sword of the Elvesmith, which is the background music that I used for most of our mythology episodes. Uh, Mark from Stratford, who was listening from the very beginning almost, and uh, yeah, his... Was one of those people who just makes you realize how much time has passed. Who you know started listening as a teenager and is now in his, uh, I think, is, is his uh, late twenties now, and is like a, like a real grown up and has a job and stuff. So <laughs> that, that's pretty cool. Also uh, to my good friends uh, Ross Patsalt and Lee Mills, uh, I worked with them over at United Kingdom Radio. Ross Patsalt's voice was heard on this podcast exactly once, well, twice now in the introduction of this episode, which was the introduction of the very first episode uh ross's voice appears saying you are tuned to radio free asgard It's the only time his voice ever appeared on the podcast and that's a nice little piece of trivia out there for anybody who cares all right and with that it is time to go back over the rainbow bridge back to midgard for the final time and i'll see you when i see you thank you very much for listening to radio free asgard